I'm Helen Farmer and this is Farmer's Kitchen, your weekly dose of foodie inspiration brought to you by Spinney's. We love going behind the scenes with their experts too. So from Neil Gibson, category manager for produce, taking us to Kenya, Mr. Cheese himself, Connor Roman, explaining the joys of Compti, examining some key ingredients, plus meeting the chefs, Chef Calvin Chung of Jun's, Chef Carmen Rueda Hernandez of Bricks, Chef Timo of Ernst. We were literally taking a trip around the world with you today. And your latest food news, where to find the best guacamole in town. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. We're giving you some ideas for eating out, but also eating at home today. And joining us live on the line from Spinney's is the category manager of Deli and Meal Solutions. Connor Roman is with us, who I affectionately call the cheese man. How are you, Connor? Uh, I'm great, thanks, Helen. How are you? I'm excited to hear about the cheese of the month. This is something you've introduced, kind of highlighting a certain flavour, helping us explore the world through cheese. So uh, can I ask you, what's what's currently kind of caught your attentions and your affections for September? Uh, yes, so at the moment we're focusing on Comte. So um, we've picked a, a, a middle-aged Comte at the moment. <laughs> I know how on. it feels. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Comte from? Can you, can you kind of break down a bit of the flavour profile and how it's made as well, Connor? Okay, yeah, sure. Um, so Comte comes from the Jura Mountains in France, uh, which is uh, just northwest of the Alps uh, on the border with France and Switzerland. Um, the flavor profiles you'll get in there, this one in particular, is aged between about eight and ten months, um, and you'll get a, a nice flavor of brown butter mm-hmm. and then a little bit of a nutty flavor coming through. And it, um, but it, it varies from... From batch to batch, it's made with unpasteurized milk. Um, so that means that you get uh, a com- like a, a completely different flavor depending on the time of year that you will get it. It's, um, it's really natural ingredients. So it has a lot of variability. Mm. Um, so I'd say the best thing to do is, uh, is go to store and try it. We've got some self-sampling stations. I in know you do because yeah. this is one of my favorite things. In fact, do you know what? My daughter's, and she, this sounds so disgusting, but she's like, the meat lollipops are back because she's there making friends with the guy frying the steak by the meat counter. I'm like, Phoebe, you've had four. Like, please just stop it. But yeah, it's a happy time when the samples are back out. So have you, is there, what should you be looking for um, when, when tasting? And what, how do you suggest eating it when you get it back home? What works with it? Mm. I think I think when you're tasting, obviously, it's just all about personal preference. I think a lot of people enjoy this. Uh, hard cheeses tend to be quite popular, uh, and this falls in that category. And when you take it home, I would say, um, obviously, a, a bit of biscotti goes great with a lot of cheeses. So I'd, I'd be looking at something like that and maybe some walnuts and dried apricots alongside with it. Is it, uh, is it melty? Can, is, it's gone to a bit melty. It melts incredibly well, so it's uh, it's often used in in melty sandwiches, croque monsieur stuff like that. People will incorporate that into it. Um, so I'd, yeah, you you could give that a go. It would uh, uplift, give you a bit of a stronger flavour than just cheddar or mozzarella. Okay, sold. You're looking at blue Stilton next month. Controversial, I have to say. It's a bit. It's a, it's a, it's the marmite of cheeses. So I'm I'm interested to hear from you next month about trying to sell me on it. I feel like I'm not. I don't feel like a proper grown up yet because I don't like olives. 
I don't, and I don't love blue cheese. So maybe this is now I'm forty. Maybe this is the year that I'm converted. I, I know these maybe. are two of your big passions: being on the deli counter, Mr. Olive and Mr. Cheese. <laughs> Absolutely, I think yeah. Um, maybe this is the year. Maybe at the self sampling station next month, you'll you'll be convinced we'll win you over. Let's see. Um, okay, challenge extended. But yeah. Challenge accepted. Yeah. Um, Connor. Now, one thing that actually your colleague Neil highlighted earlier was he's been to Kenya and has brought back some fantastic fresh produce. And he mentioned that these veggies are being put together in your stir fry meal deal. Who doesn't love a meal deal? And this is something I spotted on the shelves. Oh my goodness, earlier this year, and we tried quite a, quite a few of them. For anyone that hasn't seen the combo, can you kind of break it down to the different components and I guess even the price as well, because I think it's a fantastic one. Thanks. Thank you for that. That's, that's great feedback to get. Um, yeah, so it's, it's very simple. We try and give you everything you could need for a, a delicious stir fry at home. So you get your... Uh, your base, so either rice or noodles, some sauce. There are six different sauces that you can pick from. Um, a couple of, as you mentioned, amazing veg packs, that are fantastic quality, as we always have with our spinach produce. Um, and then an option of protein, so either chicken, beef, prawns, tofu, if you're vegetarian. Uh, so, yeah, it's something that I'm going to pick up this evening uh, for a quick dinner at home. I mean, it it's 35 dirhams for the for the set and you save anywhere between about 12 and 15 dirhams on buying them individually so it represents fantastic value well um, i i owe you a special personal thank you because when my in-laws were in town so it was earlier this year but they were here in february i am not a very confident cook and i got it was a, like a red thai curry and prawns and noodles and veggies and it wowed the mother-in-law, I have to say. I got all the, all the points that night. So yeah, I think it's it just, you know, it's a great one that, you know, teens could be putting together just a quick dinner when you get home. Just just put it all together. Can you talk to us about the sauces? What are some of your favourites? Uh, yeah, so the, the Thai red curry is actually one of my favourites really as well. Good. So, uh, yeah, fantastic. Um, we're, we're looking at doing some other things with that. Then we've got a, a firecracker stir fry sauce. So mm. this, for me, I, I can't handle the heat on this one. Um, <laughs> You're like me. When people go, how much spicy? And I'm like, uh, white girl spicy would be just about <laughs> right, please. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, I go white girl spicy as well. <laughs> <laughs> so firecracker, the red Thai curry. Um, I think if you've got a teriyaki, there's a, I remember that. Yeah, that a, was really nice. teriyaki. That's very good. The coconut ginger curry is also fantastic oh. as well and not too spicy. Um, and then we've got a, a soy and coriander chili as uh, the fry sauces. Oh, Con, are you the man? I need to say another special thank you to, for for the, um, the. Sorry, I'm like such a fan girl. Um, for the <laughs> for the fresh soups, because yes, is it you? Yes. Oh my yeah, goodness, that's, that's me. The the <laughs> coconut ginger is amazing i used to make one and it was like the one of the few things i really prided myself on being able to make and i grabbed one i mean a few months ago now i have it probably once a week at work these it's, it's so delicious it's so so delicious but here's the question how many people is that supposed to feed because i have the whole thing ah <laughs> uh, yeah it is um it's, it, a, it's it, a sharer it, Damn it. yeah it's, it's, it's <laughs> 
It could stretch to two, but I do the same thing Okay, well. good, fine. You made me feel better about <laughs> my life choices. Right. Thank yeah, you yeah, so much. Worry. And if we are going to swing by the Dali counter over the weekend, which I think most people most people do, um, any new additions that you're excited about and we should be sampling? What have you been uh, kind of enjoying people responding to? Um, the olives are going down a storm at the moment. <laughs> all right, rub uh, it in. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, our nocturlara are fantastic, uh, the, the best I've tasted over here, not to brag. Um, and then I would say at the moment you can pick up a little platter that's got some olives, cheese and uh, halal charcuterie um, for about 25 dirhams, which mm-hmm. is a, a good offer. Go so I'd keep go. an eye out for that. Yeah. It, thank you so Very much. Sweet. Great to have you with us on this Friday afternoon. Wishing you a lovely weekend ahead and uh, we'll catch up in a few weeks. See if you can win me over on the Blue Stilton. Have a good one, sir. <laughs> Connor Roman speaking to us. He is there, the man behind the deli and the meal solutions at Spinney's. So if you have you got any suggestions for him, drop him a little line and uh, I'll be sure to pass them on. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. We are talking food today and a real emphasis on fresh food, uh, the veggies, the herbs out of Kenya. Joining us to take us there today is Neil Gibson. He is Spinney's produce category manager. Now, Neil, before we take a trip to Africa and find out about some of that produce, and you can't win this prize today, I'm afraid, 500 dirhams up for grabs to spend in your local Spinney's store. What would you spend that money on in the produce category? What would you be filling up your trolley with? Because produce is such good value, it would take quite a lot of produce to spend <laughs> yeah, it would go a long way. Dirham, but, um, but I think I'd go for berries, and berries would be um, uh, berries and cherries would be probably my choice. I think. Okay, I'm always in agreement with you. It's always a bit of a cherry treat for me. Now, yeah. as I said, you can't win, but you do get to play. We're playing Would You Rather today. So if you do want to win that voucher, you need to let me know on the text line 4001. Use the ARN player app or the WhatsApp. Would you rather eat a raw onion like an apple, so crunch it, or drink a pint of sour milk? Neil Gibson, what would you choose? Eat the raw onion or drink a pint of sour milk? Definitely the onion. I could actually do the onion without having a would you rather. I quite like onions. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and they're super, they're super healthy. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> definitely that one. Okay. I'm still undecided. <laughs> so, and thankfully, it's, it's, uh, it's theoretical. We don't, no, no one's being put to the test on this one. Um, so what is in store right now when we think about you know, middle of September? Uh, what's really seasonal that's come in recently? Well, right now in store, you have a number of products which are just coming into the new season. For example, we've got apples from the Northern Hemisphere, which will be in store in the next month. So the Northern Hemisphere season really starts in September through October. So we, we see the, all the apples coming from Italy this time of year. Uh, we're still a month or two away from the Northern Hemisphere citrus season. That would be the clementines, mm-hmm. oranges, etc., from Spain. And um, we're actually coming to the end of the season on cherries from Canada right now. Uh, so the new season, South Africa season, will start in, in October. So September, a bit like April, we were between the seasons and we have quite a lot of new things starting in September and October. Um, I knew I had to ask you something. My daughter, one, of course, because they're, you know, as contrary as can be, one loves crunchy green apples and one likes crunchy red apples. And I can never remember... What is the crunchiest of the red for the eldest? What's your favourite? So jazz would be the crunchiest of them all. Um, the, uh, they have the, uh, there's, a, there's a pressure testing machine called a, 
uh, a penetrometer, and that gives you the the pressure of the apple. And um, what? So a typical, <laughs> if a typical apple might be maybe five or six, and then uh, and, a, and a jazz would be more like seven or eight. So this means that when you bite into it, uh, it's a bit harder to bite into. And some people with maybe weaker teeth actually find jazz a little bit tricky to eat, and they prefer to cut it up and eat it um, sliced. Uh, well, hang on, you need to, need to paint me a picture of this apple pressure machine. What does it look like? <laughs> It's like a little nozzle that you push into the, uh, you push in, it breaks the skin basically. As, it, as it's breaking the skin of the apple, there's a little dial that goes round, a bit like a speedometer on a car, and uh, it, it, it stops going round at the point that you break the skin of the apple, and that's the pressure. Well, every day is a school day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and just because I'm curious now, what about green apples? And what is the crunchiest of them all? So jazz would be the crunchiest, but Granny Smith, actually, a green apple, which is well-known, that's up there in terms of crunchiness. Golden Delicious, which is the other well-known green apple, is actually pretty soft in comparison to Granny Smith. Well, thank you. I, I, I'm glad I asked. and I, I wasn't expecting that answer, but, yeah, there is a science to it. There's actually a machine. Um, so it sounds like there's lots going on. And in terms of growing locally as well, what are we looking to see from the UAE coming, coming into store soon? So, yeah, really exciting from a UAE point of view. Uh, the berry season starting much earlier this year, so we'll be starting to see um, raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, strawberries uh, locally grown in stores in the next month. Um, and then we have most of the uh, farmers that we work with, we, we work uh, with a group of farmers called the Farmers Club, and most of their production will be coming on stream in October and November as we start to go into cooler months. So that's products like uh, capsicum, uh, tomatoes, full, a full range of tomatoes, and um, also products like um, aubergine or eggplant, as you call them here, mm-hmm. and onions, and uh, also mushrooms. So there's a lot of new products coming through. Fantastic. Right. Well, we're going to leave the UA behind and take a trip to Kenya. Um, Kenyan herbs and veg, these are in store and you've been to the AAA farm. Can I, I, I want to kind of unpack the farm a little bit more, but before that, what makes Kenya unique for growing? What are some of the qualities, whether it's soil or techniques or, you know, produce that's native to it that kind of gets you excited? So the, the key interesting bit of news about Kenya is it's one of a handful of places uh, which actually sit on the equator and that gives it a really unique climate. So they don't really have a, a winter and a, and a summer as such. The, the climate's relatively consistent all year round. Um, the, there is a little bit of rainfall, there is a rainy season as such, but it means that we can grow products all the way through the year, particularly using a combination of open field and greenhouse farming. So by using the, the open field and greenhouse, you can bridge all the, um, the, the whole season. So it means products like capsicums, uh, herbs, we can grow there all year round and, and get that consistent supply. Oh, right. OK, well, let's let's talk about the farm itself, because it's been a couple of years. COVID has put a bit of a pause on travel plans, but you guys are now able to go back and reconnect with the growers, the farmers, the producers. What was it like to visit the farm and you know, what were you excited to see there? So it was a fantastic experience. I've never been to Kenya before as a, as a country, and it's, uh, it's a really exciting country. Uh, on its development path at the moment. Uh, we went to Chestnut Farm, which is in the foothills of Mount Kenya, so we could see Mount Kenya in the background, mm. and it's 2,000 feet above sea level, so it actually was pretty chilly there, even in, um, even in the, the warm, warm months in the year. 
Uh, the, the, the landscape is beautiful. The sky is um, full of clouds. Um, but um, when, when so it does get quite rainy at times, but it's, it's quite cloudy. I, isn't it funny? Whenever I travel, um, I, I spend the whole time saying to my family, look at the, <laughs> look at the clouds. Look at them. Look at those clouds. <laughs> and enjoy the clouds. I, exactly. love, I love a cloud. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's certainly plenty of clouds there. So it's a bit like um, the UK in terms of cloud coverage. You, they've got a lot of clouds there. The, 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 the daily temperature change is quite significant. So warmer during the day, cold at night time. Mm-hmm. So that helps the crops as well. Um, clearly, clearly wildlife is a, is a huge element of, um, uh, of growing products in Kenya. So it's not unheard of to, um, to have the crops eaten by uh, a flock of um, locusts or trampled over by some elephants. So you know, these, are, these are one of the factors that you have to, to deal with. Wow. One of the farms that we stayed at, um, we had to walk between two buildings and there was a hippo in between. So there was a hippo that uh, the guard was trying to keep out of the way whilst we walked between the two buildings. So yeah, there's, <laughs> there's, there's some quite exciting things going on there. Not your normal work trip. We've got Neil Gibson with us this afternoon. He is the category manager for produce at Spinney's. And up next, we are going to be exploring some of that Kenyan produce the veggies, the herbs, some of the health properties and what we should be putting into our basket this weekend, maybe for the first time. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Great to have you with us this Friday afternoon. We are talking food and fresh produce in particular now with Spinney's Produce Category Manager, Neil Gibson. He's been to Kenya and has come back to tell us about what can be now found on the shelves. So let's talk about some of the produce that you saw growing on the farms in Kenya that you feel really confident and excited to introduce to, to UAE shoppers. What's on your what was on your shopping list when you went over? So the the main products on my shopping list on the trip to Kenya were herbs, flowers and the prepared vegetables, things like stir fry. So we've introduced a, a new range of stir fry which is part of a meal deal actually in store now. Uh, it's four, four items for 35 dirham. Uh, so the, the components of that, of that stir-fry were, were quite important. We spent a bit of time cooking the stir-fries up and making sure they, they worked well with the other components and, and tweaking some of the components so that they worked uh, well from a taste and eating quality point of view. From a herb side, we um, were really, really keen to see the herbs in the field, look at some of the growing techniques and, and come up with some new ideas how we can encourage customers to I guess, spend, ex, expand their repertoire a little mm-hmm. bit with herbs because um, it's been a category that, that was in huge sales boom during the pandemic years and, and, and subsequently is in, a, in, in more of like a flat sales curve now. We would like to get that uh, inspiration back to try and get some of the sales growth back that we enjoyed during the pandemic. I wonder why that was. That's so interesting because I think every, you know, not every home, most home will have that kind of, you know, the freeze-dried oregano and, you know, they might have a basil plant on, on the on the windowsill or in the garden. What do you tend to like or gravitate towards or even recommend that perhaps we do try for the first time on the herb front? So I think the, the herb rosemary is particularly uh, flexible. I think it goes with so many different products. So that's the one that I buy most often it's uh, it's fantastic with garlic and um little baby potatoes roasted that that works really well but equally uh, i i think rosemary works super well with fish as well on the barbecue with tomatoes and um and a bit of onion what about any of the health boosting properties of the produce you brought back from kenya anything you're particularly you know interested to share so because the 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 ground there is particularly mineral rich and it, the, the products grown in the open field we do find actually that there's a lot of 
um, really naturally developed vitamins and minerals in, in the product. So we do find that product from Kenya generally does, does offer improved eating quality. So things like peppers would perform well, but equally the herbs and, um, and some, of the, some of the products like um, tenderstone broccoli, which is a combination of broccoli and Chinese kale. It's a cross between broccoli and Chinese kale. That's a very popular item these days. All right, well, Neil, thank you so much. So, uh, what are your foodie plans for the weekend? You're going out, you're cooking at home. What, what, are, you, what are you scheming? Well, I'm going to go and do a trek tomorrow afternoon. So, are hopefully, you? that's going to be not, not too hot um, down on the Wadi. So, the, uh, I think uh, I'll, be, I'll be taking some, a pat lunch for that trip and, <laughs> and lots of water. <laughs> Good man. I love the sound of that. I, th- I thought it was kind of a bit too early in the season to be hiking again. So, Good for you. Hope it goes well. Take a nice crunchy apple for a for a mid hike uh, snack. And <laughs> and, where, and where's next on the travel front? Last time it was Kenya. Have you got anything else in the diary? The next trip is to Madrid. We have a big uh, produce fair in Madrid uh, first week in October, and it's still quite uh, quite warm that summer year. So I'm looking forward to that. Fantastic. All right. Well, report back when you return from uh, from the Spanish uh, Spanish shores, and we'll catch up very soon. Thank you so so much. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Bye for now. And talking of Kenyan flavours, our tech producer Esther from the Afternoons team is sharing some of her memories of veggies and herbs from her home country. Most Kenyans grew up eating lots of vegetables. Most popular is what we call skumawiki. So it's a kind of the kale family. So all you have to do is take some spring onions, chop them, fry them in some cooking oil. Once they're fried, Add in the skuma wiki, the kale, stir it, let it cook for about five, six minutes, and yum, it's ready to eat. If you want to make it better, chop some avocado, have that on the side, and then make some nice ugali. Ugali is a form of polenta, what Italians call polenta, but just that ugali, skuma made with some spring onions, avocado on the side, yum. For any other stews, Oh, you cannot go wrong with coriander. I know some people call it um, cilantro, but coriander from Kenya, oh my goodness, finger licking good. The Chef's Table. Joining us today from The Chef's Table, born in Canada, raised in Chicago, worked in India and the States, and now based in Dubai as chef and partner of Jun's. Delighted to welcome to the studio Chef Kelvin Chung. He's uh, there at. Uh, one of the hottest restaurants in town, boasting Asian flavours reimagined. He's also the father of a mini foodie in training for tomorrow. Bodhi, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. And I really mean this for making time, especially on a Friday when I know things are pretty crazy in the world of hospitality. I've got lots to ask you about travel and influences and flavors current and past but can you tell us a little bit about kind of going back in time what were you eating as a family when you were growing up in toronto in toronto we lived in a very traditional chinese household so every meal was a complete meal that was always based around rice we had two uh, vegetable dishes and generally we had a steamed vegetable seafood kind of mix um, one protein which would be meat chicken red meat and then we would always have a traditional chinese broth um, which kind of was our health immunity booster and that was something that was made fresh every day and this happened for every meal and we would always make extra um, because we would we were kind of like the neighborhood canteen um, <laughs> right. so at 
at any given moment, I could come home um, and there would be a bunch of random children sitting around the table eating. And it would be either my friends, my sister's friends, my brother's friends. The door was always um, open. It was always open. It was just a community hall that was full of people eating food. And it was just kind of the way our house was run. That's really lovely to think about food, as you're saying there, as a source of health and nourishment, but also of bringing people together. Do you think that influenced you as a chef, a restaurateur? Um, I think it was in part because of just the way my family always wanted to take care of people. They were definitely caretakers of the community of other families and other friends. And it kind of goes hand in hand with being a chef. Um, One of our main joys in life is to be able to take care of people and to feed people. And that goes, that's kind of like our love language. Mm -hmm. I love that. So when did you decide to become a chef and make a living from caretaking and feeding? (laughs) Um, I think at a very early age, uh, I had had that hidden uh, chef in me um, that always wanted to cook and wanted to do it for a full-time job and for the rest of my life. Um, But as a immigrant son, we were always kind of pushed towards getting a better higher education and then becoming a professional. Mm -hmm. And at those times, it was always kind of like, oh, you need to be a doctor. You need to be a lawyer. You need to be an engineer. And I took the doctor out, um, studied biology and was ready for pre-med and go to med school. But I just knew that it was just not in me and I did not want to do that for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I finally had one of those sit downs with the parents and was just like, listen, I think I'm going to go back to being a cook. And um, they gave me the full spiel of it's up to you, but here are the negatives. Here are a lot of negatives. You won't have a life. You won't spend time with your family. You won't be able to spend time with your friends. You'll miss all the holidays. I but mean, they did have a point. It's totally true. <laughs> You know, like you you do sacrifice a lot. And if you're lucky enough to find a partner who understands your life, Mm -hmm. then you can kind of uh, find start your own family in that as well. But it's a very difficult life. Mm -hmm. You worked incredibly hard. We do. And you had some tough times yourself, you know, really. Very much so. You just saying, you know, you were homeless for a year, really grafting to rent your own apartment, buy your own apartment than buy your own home. It must have been incredibly satisfying to work your way up the ranks because that's one, I guess, one of the kind of really amazing things about a kitchen is it it's like an army there's that hierarchy you can track your progress and you can see what's next who's next where you want to be how do you feel looking back on that time chef it's of course it's very satisfying gratifying but it, it kind of goes again it, it's it's part of the the characteristics of someone who's successful in this industry we uh we attract a certain breed of uh of, of animal to to want to do the 15 16 17 18 hour days um that can do it back to back seven days a week um but it's it's something that we truly love and in order to be successful you have to love it you have to have the passion for it and it was just one of those things you just learn very early on to put your head down and focus and just cook. And I guess the, the, the great thing is it's tangible. You see the fruits of those labors. You see smiles on faces. You see food going out. And now, as I said, you're chef and partner of that fantastic restaurant there in downtown. Tell us a little about, about Jun's. Tell us about the concept, but most importantly, the food. Tell us about the menu. Make us hungry because I had <laughs> leftover pizza for lunch. <laughs> so June's, uh, I, I think, is a very uh, fun concept that we've created uh, for Dubai. Um, there are some amazing Asian restaurants in Dubai. You get the best Japanese, the best Peruvian Japanese, the best Chinese that you can find in the world. Um, some of the biggest, best chefs are here. But what we noticed was that there was, um, they all kind of, were very classic in the sense that they were providing classical Chinese, classical Japanese. And I, in the beginning, my menu was quite similar for Jun's, but 
the more time I spent here, I wanted to kind of make sure that the menu was a little bit more me and had my sort of characters and my flavors of my journey throughout my life. So you'll see, I like to describe the food at June's as kind of nostalgic North American Asian, um, which is a mouthful, and I understand it's a little strange, but it's the truth because it's everything that I used to cook at my father's restaurants. It's everything that I cooked at my own restaurants. It's everything that I ate growing up as a kid in Toronto, in Chicago, going to the neighborhood sushi spot, the neighborhood Thai spot, the neighborhood like local Mexican trucks, and just kind of taking all those flavors. And the idea is that will take any of your flavor memories and your flavor concepts of your in your head of Asian flavors, and from what I understand it, and kind of meet in a really fun, delicious space at Jun's. Can you make us hungry with some of the dishes? Is there, is there a dish that feels like like you on a plate? It's like your foodie philosophy from your upbringing, your travels, your family life, your time in Dubai, and you think, if I eat that, I'm going to understand Chef Kelvin. I'm going to get him. So... Which is interesting. That's a great question because every single dish on the menu has part of me in it and it's part of my story. Mm -hmm. And it can be something as simple as our carrot dish, um, which is one of the weird ones speaking about the food that we ate at our household because we, we only ate rice and noodles every day. And bread was a very new concept for us. And I think sometime around primary school, my mother discovered smoked salmon, cream cheese, and bagels. And she brought it into the house, and we were all like, what is this? Exotic. And it became a staple. So I wanted to make sure that I captured that memory, even though per se it wasn't a, exactly an Asian flavor profile, but it was such a big memory for me. So for us, we created a vegetarian version where it's, we took some um, baby rail, uh, rainbow heirloom carrots that we lightly grill and we're smoke, uh, serving it over a smoked labne with some candied walnuts and some soy honey butter. So when you have it with a piece of our homemade sourdough, you spread it on, get a little bit of the carrot, a little bit of the labne, a little bit of the candied walnuts, a little bit of the soy honey butter, and you close your eyes and you take a bite and you're like, wait a second, this is a smoked salmon cream cheese bagel. <laughs> Yet it's vegetarian. You're having fun, it sounds like. It's lots of fun. I mean, um, we, we have another plate, which is our scallop plate that I describe as our corn plate. Um, during the summertime in, in Toronto, a lot of families stop going to supermarkets because we have such amazing farms that are readily available. Like you're talking like a five, 10 minute drive. And once a week, families pack up, you go to the local farm, you pick your own vegetables and that's what you eat. And a lot of the farms that sell corn in Toronto they're super fun because they set up a little corn maze so the kids can get lost. At the end of the maze, you get caramel corn and you get ice cream. So it was super fun. Um, so we took some uh, fresh Hokkaido scallops that we uh, marinate with a little bit of yuzu kosho that we make ourselves. Serve it a little bit of uh, warm sushi rice and then some corn puree. So when you swipe and eat in one bite, you get this explosion of corn flour. Oh, uh, corn fl flavor, sorry. That sounds Phenomenal. Yeah. Let's finish with a sweet end because your Instagram is full of incredible cake creations with some really unique flavor combinations as well. It is your son's birth birthday tomorrow. It is. Are it's Bodhi's birthday. Bodhi's birthday. Are you baking a cake? We are. Special request. He has asked for a Sprinkles birthday cake. Um, so we are taking inspiration from Chef Christina Tosi's famous milk bar cake and making him his own mountain ginormous sprinkles cake. Have you watched uh, Junior Master Chef? Yes, which has got of course. Christina. My kids are obsessed with it. <laughs> obsessed. They, they were lucky enough to meet Gordon Ramsay 
Lindsay at, uh, <gasps> on the Palm a while ago. And there they go, oh, there's Gordon. I'm like, you, you don't know how lucky you are. You have no clue. <laughs> Best friends. Best, yeah, in their mind. Um, but he has his own Instagram. He's a passionate foodie and I'm loving his adventures. What does he like to eat? What are some of his favorite flavors around Dubai? Uh, so Bodhi definitely is a very interesting character. Um, a lot of the ideas from the cakes and stuff are from him. Um, and they kind of represent everything that he loves. So every morning he loves to ask us for salmon sushi and salmon sashimi. Um, Does he get it? Of course. Can you adopt me? <laughs> Seriously. Lot Send of lucky the kid. Uh, adoption form. Okay, filled, perfect. Thank uh, you so much. Wife. You accept uh, a 40-year-old. <laughs> she'll, she'll screen and I'm sure she'll accept you. Um, so he starts his day with sushi. Starts his day with sushi. Um, and then he'll always ask for some soup noodles as well. Um, which he gets from me, I'm sure. Uh, so I like to make some fresh broth from home and then we'll make some fresh noodles and make sure all the garnish is ready so that he has some fresh noodles from every day. Last question. Actually, two last questions. One, if we're going to come to June's over the weekend, what do you think we have to order? The must-haves would definitely be the carrots and the, the uh, scallop that we discussed as well as I think you should try our bread and butter. Um, which is, again, not expected at a Asian-esque kind of restaurant. Um, but it's a Vietnamese-style um, mini baguettes that we, yeah, that we take. Yeah, like a banh mi kind of Exactly like a banh mi bread. But we take some garlic and we ferment it for 35 days. We roll it on the inside and we like, make sure that we bake it fresh to order. Then you tear it and whip it through some of our hot honey butter that we whip. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yes. Okay. And lastly, you cannot win our Spinney's prize today because you're a friend of the show. Oh. Sorry. But would you rather eat an entire raw onion like an apple or drink a pint of sour milk? Super easy. Although sour milk can be delicious when it's done right. Mine, um, this is horrible, this one. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely eat an onion. I can easily eat an onion. Chef challenge. Chef Kevin, thank you so, so much. Thank you for uh, having me. Where can we find you on Instagram and, of course, find the restaurant as Yes, well. yes. Please, please check out uh, my Instagram is Chef Kelvin Chung. And then you can find the restaurant at June's, J-U-N-S. And then, of course, my son's birthday, Bodhi Bites. You love it. Chef, thank you so much. Go, well, I was going to say go enjoy the weekend. Go back to the kitchen because you've got hungry diners waiting for you. But do enjoy the birthday tomorrow. And, thank you uh, so much. And snap a photo of that, of that cake. It's Sounds like a classic. The Chef's Table. And what a chef we have for you today. Chef Carmen Reda Hernandez joining us. Executive pastry chef at Bricks Desserts. And my gosh, her resume will blow your mind. She is from Spain, uh, graduated culinary school there and then went to El Bulli, of course, one of the most famous and most respected restaurants in the world before going on to the Fat Duck, working with Heston Blumenthal, Singapore with Janice Wong, Nobu in Warsaw and is now here in Dubai working at Bricks, one of the most loved dessert bars and one that I think has certainly got a lot to unpick and understand. Chef Carmen, how are you today? I'm very good, thank you. Good evening. I am. I don't know where to start with you, but let's, <laughs> but let's start at the beginning. Now, when we when we meet chefs, I always think in my mind there's a route. There's this kind of experimental, savory route, and then there's the precise, the science of pastry. But you have also had a lot of fun with pastry flavors over the years, and when you think about Heston and some of those illusions and experiences. But where did it start for you? What, can you remember the first thing you made? Well, the very first thing that I made, if I can remember well, I started to play with uh, dough. I started with playing with a flower and make it grow under the sun because obviously in Spain it's very hot in summer. 
And then someone gave me one day a recipe for to make bonbons, very basic one, adding chocolate, butter, and some almonds, and obviously set in the chiller, mm-hmm. and then I have these beautiful bonbons. <laughs> and it was like magic. Yeah, it was really nice. And uh, I've been always cooking, but I really started to consider to becoming a professional chef when I turned 19 years old. Mm. Then is when I decided to go to Madrid and study culinary arts. You graduated from the Culinary Institute of Madrid. What was what was the training like? What do you remember from those days? Well, it was like a, a lot of studying. So we have a lot of technicalities on. We also learn English, French, uh, different languages to be able to go wherever mm-hmm. you want to go and explore the world. And then we have a lot of uh, practice. So we spend long hours in the kitchen making food for our colleagues and a lot of experiments also. You, I think it's safe to say that you have worked alongside the best and that, you know, learning from the best and now up there as the best. Can we talk about some of the mentors? Can you take us to Albuli and a little bit about what the kitchen's like? Of course. Like? Uh, I mean, as a chef, being at Albuli is probably... I mean, uh, the dream of everyone. <laughs> yes. And uh, I have uh, the lucky to be eating there. I got a dinner when I was uh, still like being uh, making an stash. And uh, I got the chance to, to get a dinner for three people. And three, two of my friends and myself, we went there for dinner. And when we eat the food, we really realized that it was something out of this world. And this is when I started to realize I want to come in here and, and try to work for Ferran. Yeah, but, but obviously it's not easy. No, I'm <laughs> sure, you know, it, it must be, you know, at, at its peak, hundreds if not thousands of resumes, people to want, yeah. wanting to have that name on, on theirs. How do you think you stood out from the masses? So I, I truly believe that it's a question of uh, being lucky. And uh, especially because I've been choosing for the last season. So just the year before the close, mm-hmm. I was closing the restaurant. And it was very lucky and it was very, very special. I I know you're being modest. <laughs> I think luck is often an opportunity, good timing, but incredible hard work and talent as well. And you yeah. wouldn't have been there if you hadn't deserved that space. What did you learn there? Well, of course... Uh, to every kitchen that you go and you go wherever in the world you are going to hard hard work mm-hmm. for many many hours in a day that's uh, no doubt but uh, you need to be clever also and you need to try to get uh, the most so you have to work on your table and look what others they are doing <laughs> so i remember very much after working a few hours a day after asking to your colleagues, okay, what did you do? How do you do this? Pass me the recipes. And it was absolutely like uh, passing recipes here and there to try to catch the most of that experience because obviously it was also the last. You knew. So we knew that there was no more chances. So soaking up that atmosphere, getting all the knowledge. I love it. We're going to be talking about bricks next. It is Dessert Bar right next door to Three Phil's same group. So What is on the menu? Prepare to have a very, very rumbly tummy indeed if you've got a sweet tooth. Delighted to be joined in studio right now by their executive pastry chef, uh, Carmen Rueda Hernandez, joining us live. If you've got any questions for her, get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. The Chef's Table. 
Now, though, we are giving you a sweet end to your week. Delighted to be joined in the studio by the executive pastry chef at Bricks Dessert, Chef Carmen Rueda Hernandez. She's here to, well, I mean, my goodness, give us a, a tour of the world and via her CV, because upon graduating from Madrid, she went to El Bulli, worked in Bray, the Fat Duck and the Heston Blumenthal, went to Singapore with Janice Wong and is now here in Dubai. It is the same group of three fills and you're right next door. Uh, Chef Carmen, can I ask you about the Bricks journey? Because it's an experience shrouded in a little bit of mystery, but one that people cannot stop talking about. Can you explain it for us? Yeah, of course. So Bricks is one of these uh, story-driven dessert dining experience. What we can say in much easier words, we are a dessert restaurant. We are the only one in Middle East and one of the only tens in the whole world. Wow. So we are giving a chef table experience to our guests through a different menu. So we have one short and one long. How short and how long? How long is long? Uh, so the short menu uh, contains four desserts. And all of them that goes along with uh, non-alcoholic pairing drinks. We make uh, cocktails. And uh, the long one is uh, six courses. All of them that goes also along with uh, non-alcoholic pairing drinks. I, I keep on thinking this is, um, what an amazing kind of date night this would be. You know, I'm, you know, as long as you're with someone who has a sweet tooth. So, because it's an experience. You know, if, you've got, if you're struggling for conversation, there's you, you know, there's a, there's a chef. But you've also got this connection of exploring flavours together. I love the sound of it. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that are on the menu or even some of the components that you're using? So, obviously, as everyone can expect, we use uh, a little bit of uh, different ingredients of what uh, usually we get into desserts. Because to make uh, four or six uh, courses into dessert, our main thing is to push up the flavours of anything that you are having. So we reduce a lot the sugar. We totally re- reduce or remove the butter and the cream because we want to use all the techniques that I've been learning all my life into create uh, unique bites. Some of the courses, they are obviously bigger. Some of them, they are smaller. So we are combining a lot of different ways to eat. The ingredients, it's really, we don't want to say much. Uh, not for any secret. It's just because we know that we all get prime, but what we here mm-hmm. but obviously we get premium ingredients uh, all kind of uh, fruits a few veggies olive oil also i've seen of, corn of course <laughs> corn corn obviously is a very special veggie because corns contain a high amount of sugar so it's one of these ingredients that you can use and you don't need to add any extra sugar this is why we add it into our menu we have also tomatoes, because tomatoes, they are sweet, naturally. So it's a very big uh, and very <laughs> a great variety of uh, things that they goes along in the menu. So it sounds like you're really trying to shift our perceptions of what dessert is or what dessert could be. Do you feel like there's a bit of an education process there? And how are people responding to it? Yeah, obviously, everyone that is coming, they don't know very much where are they coming. But uh, every, everyone loves each of the dishes because uh, we do things that no everyone is used to have. Mm-hmm. Many of them, they are in one bite. So in one bite, you have an explosion of flavors from all kinds of things, from tea to spices that you never had before. So people react very, very well to the menu. And people is always asking, like, 
why I, need, I didn't know before about you. Mm-hmm. So it's very positive. Can I ask you about presentation as well? Because when we think about, I guess, traditional patisserie, it is that, you know, execution, that precision. Um, how does that translate to what's on at Bricks? Because a lot of the, the styling and design I've seen looks very organic and natural and beautiful, but in a different way to what we might think of as dessert and pastry cooking. Yeah, so we are trying to achieve everything because obviously we all eat by the eyes. And uh, in the Brits experience, we are multisensorial experience. So you are not only eating, you also see, you smell different things, uh, the light changes, and you have a lot of things that happening while you are eating. But of course, the main ingredient, the main thing is the dessert. So we try to use the beauty without making it uh, too... Mm, much too yeah. distracting yeah too distracting but mm-hmm. make it beautiful and very appealing so people really really enjoyed their beautiful pieces of uh, dessert but very very much uh, very good <laughs> i'm so interested i think this sounds like in the, I mean, the word you use was more of an experience a journey rather than dessert being an afterthought or something that you just have at the end of a meal this is a way of challenging ourselves but also really i mean my goodness the chance to try your food a question here saying, how do you spell it? It's Bricks, B-R-I-X, desserts.com. Um, and a question here from uh, Gillian saying, how far in advance do we need to book? Great question. <laughs> so depends on the day. depends if you want on the weekend or on the weekdays. You always can book through the website. And uh, also you can give us a call and we can tell you the ability of the, of the chairs. We are open from 2 p.m. until 10.30 so we have a lot of a slot through the day. So there is always a chance. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us on a Friday when I know you're very busy <laughs> and I know you need to get back to your kitchen at Briggs. You. But if you do want the website for that, by all means, I'd be happy to share it. But I could, I want to hear more. We didn't even talk about Fat Duck. We didn't talk about Singapore. So Chef Carmen, thank you so, so much. It's thank you very much for having pleasure. us. Chef Carmen speaking to us in the studio. Um, as I said, bricksdessert.com if you fancy learning a little bit more, although still shrouded in mystery, which means you're going to have to go along and try it yourself. We are taking a trip to Germany next. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. And I'm trying my best to make our next guest feel at home. We're talking Oktoberfest, we're talking German food on the show and Chef Timo Glockner has travelled the world. He's been in Switzerland, he's been in the Philippines and he's in Dubai now getting back to his German roots. Chef, how are you this afternoon? Yeah, hi, welcome. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling feeling good. Feeling I'm good. Nice prepared to, to the... get some questions. <laughs> <laughs> nice to be out the kitchen on a Friday afternoon and we'd be normally be working very hard, I'm sure. Yeah, so the, the evening will be a bit longer than for that case, but oh. uh, well, getting thank, used to it. Thank you. Now, where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about the food you were eating in your native Germany. Yeah, so I, I grew up like in, in a small town in Germany, southwest, like uh, pretty much 15 minutes from, from France away. So basically more laid back, more country countryside, so not big city, not a big city boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, food pretty much was quite dense. It's like heavy, heavy food, comfort food. 
So nothing with uh, fine dining or all the kind of these things. So straight to the plate, then you have to eat what's on the plate. So that's basically how it was for the time. Food was heavy and food was love. It, I don't know much about German cuisine, so I'm hoping you can educate me a little bit. But you saying there that you were close to the French border, presumably geography plays a really important role in cuisine, whether it is, you know, flavors or influences. Can you give us a little breakdown of some of the key German dishes that you think we should be aware of to understand yeah you. i think um it's it's pretty much a little bit the cliche dishes as well what everyone knows it's like it's a big thing uh germany is very popular for breads for pretzels uh, and then sausages in all kinds of forms as, as they come from small to big in all kinds of flavors so this is the the most essential things and then also it's a lot of uh, stews and and soups and kind of these parts so just because it's a cold country so mm-hmm. you need you need heavy food to to keep you full longer the winter uh, warmers yes exactly and how is that translated to Erst? you're there as the head chef there at the 25 hours hotel um and there aren't that many German restaurants in Dubai. So tell us a little bit about creating the menu. What did you want to make sure you were representing at Ernst? Yeah, so for, for Ernst, we, we tried to represent as authentic as possible uh, to be the Bavarian cuisine. Um, also, it's just like there's a lot of restaurants here who tried it before in a couple of years. There was a lot of German places and they opened and soon also they, they closed. Uh, I, I believe it has a lot to do with uh, with not adapting to keep it original, it's mostly how it is. A lot of places in Dubai, they, they start to make it a little bit more Arabic or Indian or, or they dilute the, the originality. So we try to be as authentic as possible and try to get at as close to the to the original as we can without uh, trying to make everyone too happy. So more like stay, stay to the basics. Mm-hmm. So tell us then what dishes have been really well received and is it, is it by you know the German community in Dubai? Or you feel like you're introducing some expats to it as well from other countries? Yeah, actually, we we kind of um, speaking to to a lot of expats as well. So I think that the mix is quite good. It's not that we only have uh, German people coming to us. Uh, I think one of the one of the best selling and most popular one is is the schnitzel. It's pretty much. Uh, Everyone likes it. It's it's a breaded piece of meat, and then you you get some fries to it. It's just pretty not straightforward. To like? <laughs> <laughs> now you've got on the menu a step by step guide for eating a sausage. What sausage is it? Because I don't think I can pronounce it. And how do we eat it? Yeah, so the sausage itself that's the originally called Weisswurst. So Weisswurst, that's a, okay. that's a veal a veal sausage. So it's it's white from the color, basically what the, what the word comes from. Um, it's Rare for other countries to know a sausage that's actually not grilled, so we just boil it. So it's basically boiling water, you simmer it a few minutes, and, and that's pretty much it. You eat it with a sweet mustard, additionally with, with a pretzel, and then uh, some, some beverages to it, because it's uh, it also has from the mustard a bit the salty part in. So how do you eat it? What makes it different in terms of technique? I think that the technique that here differs very much, I think, from the generations and from the place where you're coming from. So it's like the super traditional one is basically you you literally suck the sausage out out of there of the coating. But then also there's a bit more defined dining version, so you can also eat it with a knife and fork. So if you uh, if you're not too brave enough for Yeah, let's go authentic. Um Grant saying, do you have I'm so sorry to any Germans listening. Kazespatzel? Did I say that right? Yeah, that was actually quite quite good, I have to say. Mm. Can you uh, say it properly, Chef? The the proper pronunciation is Kaiserspätzler. Kaiserspätzler? Yeah. Okay. I, again, apologies. What is it and do you have it? Um, I think the easiest explanation would be kind of like a German cheesy egg noodles. So it's, it's pretty much kind of 
just a normal egg noodle, flour, egg, uh, the, the basic ingredients for it. You, you boil it and then you saute it in a little bit of butter. And then uh, for, the, for the cheese version of it, this is like lots of cream, lots of cheese, very heavy. So uh, one, one portion has unlimited calories. Cheat day, but, <laughs> worth, but absolutely worth it. Um, so tell us then about sourcing ingredients. Is that something that's been a bit of a challenge? Are you making much in the kitchens there at Ernst? How are you, how are you doing it? Some ingredients is a challenge because uh, that's a lot of, it's, it's a specialty cuisine here. So you don't have many suppliers or many offerings for some specific products or source. But however, it's like a lot of things we can do by ourselves uh, with, with the ingredients that you get here. Uh, especially fresh produce, you get a lot of good local stuff from, from tomatoes, vegetables, all of kind of these things. That's changed which are, a lot, Which are by quite great. Yeah. So a lot of these uh, hydroponic farms around, which actually provide really good uh, alternatives to waiting it getting it from the other weight of the planet we've got lots of messages on this topic one asking do you have strudel yes we have strudel we have the apple strudel uh, as i think as authentic as it comes really? uh, with vanilla ice cream on it oh my gosh okay and let's talk Oktoberfest. i had a little bit of umpa music it is coming up it's actually starting tomorrow for, for you guys what have you got planned uh, yeah, so for Oktoberfest it, it starts tomorrow, so we basically we're going a whole month till the 23rd of, of October, uh, specifically Thursday, Friday, Saturday every weekend, so we'll, be, uh, we'll have a massive uh, fest going on, um, we're having authentic bands that are coming from Munich directly, so it's just like uh, trying, as I said, to be as authentic as it is, we're bringing a bit of love in with some nice uh, gingerbread hearts, it's like super traditional, oh. where you also, it's just like, if your girlfriend will be mad that you stay too long, you can get <laughs> the heart and then she will be happy about it as well strategic this yes. sounds like you're speaking from experience getting dressed up are people welcome to come along in a bit of a bit later Hazen? yeah people are welcome to to come in the in the authentic dresses uh, a few coming already now so it's also the staff will have a bit more in authentic dresses on this and then also it's like for everyone who comes in authentic leather hose and order the until they, they will also get a small treat from our side <sighs> to have a bit of token of appreciation right now for someone like me who has never really explored german cuisine and we're going to come let's say i'm going to come over the weekend maybe not maybe not tomorrow night i have not got the the authentic get up just yet what do you think which dish you think would be a really good introduction to understand a bit more about german culture but mostly the cuisine chef I think it's like uh, for sure the cold cold cuts itself is is one good thing because it's a lot of culture. Uh, in Germany, it's mostly you eat only lunch hot. Uh, breakfast is cold in the evening. Also, the most of the families you actually eat your bread with cold cuts with jam or all the kind of these things. Mm. So this is a very authentic. Uh, going to the original cases um, else then obviously I would say you need to follow the cliches and then try something with the sauerkraut on it or a sausage uh, so that's, that's always a good thing and so far we didn't get any negative feedback on any sausage that we have so I think that's the safest and what about the pretzels uh, the pretzels also um, pretzels are, are flying around especially for Oktoberfest we have lots of them everywhere in, in different sizes so uh, <laughs> any, freshly any out of the oven. Any special dips or, you know, you, how are you making a bit of a pretzel your own? Or is there no messing with the pretzel? Yeah, it's, it's basically traditionally you just uh, take it plain or with butter. It's just like here now, also since a few months in Dubai, people actually love to dip it in the sweet mustard. So that's more like, I would say, the, the local version of it. So it gets a bit more sweet. But then also, uh, I think a pretzel is all around thing. You can make from a sandwich to a dip anything to it and it, it just fits. 
Oh my, right. Okay. <laughs> I think we've got Dubai suitably excited about Oktoberfest. Pretzels, music, direct from Munich, sausages. So, Chef Timo, thank you. Your work here is done. You can you can fly the flag as a cultural ambassador for your home country. But listen, in all seriousness, thank you so much for coming in. I know preparations are well underway there at the uh, the hotel for what's going to be a really big night and a big month ahead. So, thank you for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much have for having me. Have a good one indeed. Um, Oktoberfest starting at Ernst tomorrow. It's there at the 25 Hours Hotel, 1 Central. And that was Chef Timo Glockner. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.